0: My name is Anna Slink. I have my master's in um, education from the University of Minnesota with a certificate in dual language and immersion education. I started working in immersion in 2009 um, where I was living abroad. I was living in Costa Rica and um, there was an opportunity, a ministry opportunity to kind of start a K-6 school there. So we started that alongside, alongside of Zealand Christian Schools. Um, Bill Van Dyke was a big part of that as well, kind of walking alongside of me. But that is how I jumped into the work that we do. So my first few years of experience, first 10 years, were in K-6. And then I moved, my husband and I moved back to Michigan. I am originally from Holland Christian, actually. And um, that's when I kind of started working on the high school level. Um, I have a bilingual home, my husband is Costa Rican. People ask what we do at home for language and I say it is a hot mess, right? It is sometimes Spanish, it is sometimes English. You might hear homes where one parent speaks one language and another parent speaks the other language, or at a home they say, okay, this is a minority language, we're gonna only speak in Spanish. We just have never been good at that. But, because of that, I am so thankful for the immersion programs that we have. Um, People ask, why do you put your kids in immersion? You guys speak Spanish. And the main reason is, we want, it's hard. It's hard to motivate them in the home when all their other input is in English. It's hard to be the one pushing that language all the time, and then they get pushed back, right? Um, My kindergarten, my kindergartner, he's first grade, but when he started kindergarten, He sat outside the hall the first day for 20 minutes or more. That's what they told me, so it might have been longer. He's stubborn. But he was in tears and he said, I don't want to go in because I don't speak Spanish. And if you're talking to him and you're like, buddy, you speak to grandma in Spanish, you speak to daddy in Spanish. But for him it was, it's still not my heart language. It's still not the language I use to get upset or to express certain things. And so it's been really cool to put them in immersion And and build that confidence, even though they're exposed to it outside the home, too. So they are um, my motivation when I look at a program. I'm thinking about my kids, too, how I want them to be able to interact, not just here in West Michigan, but with grandma, with their uncles, with how they enter the world. Um, And that's kind of what drives me and the work that I do. Um, so just when I was getting ready for this, I just am recognizing that we might come from a lot of different contexts. So if you could just help me out, I'm going to say, ask some questions and raise your hand if it applies to you. How many here work in K-6 or K-5 elementary? Okay. 6-8? Um, nine twelve? How many are teachers? How many are administrators? Okay. So we have a pretty good mix. This is gonna be a pretty big overview. I could go into a lot more details. For some of you, it might feel like it's really detail heavy. For others, it might feel like, oh, I want to know the nitty gritty. And, and please know that I'm here and available. Um, I didn't put a ton of that in, but we've been walking through it for a few years, and I want to be able to um, share the experience, because it's been, it's been a journey. Um, so program models. How many of you have a program at your school currently? Okay, if you have a program at your school, how many have a one-way program? A one-way program means you have primarily English speakers and they're learning a second language. That's a one-way. Is anyone here from a uh, two-way program? A two-way program would be if you have half Spanish speakers and half English speakers. And depending on your student population, that's kind of how you choose your program model. So this is the second part of program type. How many of you who have programs are early total? Early total means you start in kindergarten with all Spanish and you stay that way all the way through fifth grade. Okay, does anyone here have a 50-50? What this means is half of your instruction is in Spanish and half is in English. No one. Okay, and anyone have a 90-10? A 90-10 means you start in kindergarten with 90% Spanish, 10% English, and you slowly grow. Um, If you're considering a program and you're like, I don't know what this means and how would this apply to me, ask me questions. Based on your student population is kind of how you determine what's the best program model for your school. Um, So it sounds like we basically have one-way early total programs represented here. Um, And then one last thing. Raise your hand if you do have a program in high school already. Okay? Okay. How many have a program, but it's not quite high school yet? Okay. And how many don't have a program, you're investigating, you're here to check it out? Nice. We have a very great mix of people here. So um, feel free to stop me and ask questions or clarify. When you're in a world that you live in every day, sometimes you assume things, terms, feel free to stop me, raise your hand, shout out. Are we good with me not using a mic? Everyone can hear me well. The benefit of the back room here. <laughs> so, um, at Collin Christian, we are currently a 9-12th school. Um, that's who I primarily work with. And our feeder school, Zealand Christian, has a K 8 early total one way program. So that means their kindergarten through fifth grade is 100% Spanish, sixth through eighth is about 50 50, and then they come to us at the high school level. So even though they're a feeder school, we don't really work with them on the program level at all. Um, and that's kind of how this was born, this, this program was born. Um, our Pioneer class, first class to graduate from high school for Spanish immersion, was a total of four students. <laughs> and that was in 2018. For context, this year, our incoming freshman class was 28, 25. So it's slowly been growing into that size. Um, and Helen Christian has also started their own Spanish immersion in the elementary school. They add one grade every year, and we're currently in fourth grade. So we are waiting for the day that they can get up to high school, because that will help with numbers, and, um, and I'll explain a little bit about that too. But that is the context of, that I'm coming from in our, in our district. So the first question is, okay, these kids have been in immersion since their kindergarten. They can talk to the person at the store. Do they have to continue? Like, why continue? Um, And there's a couple things, key reasons, and those are the pillars of the dual language program themselves. Um, We call these the ABCs. You'll see why. Um, The first is academic achievement. For any dual immersion program, academic achievement needs to be the priority as far as a student will do all, they will be at the academic level as their peers, either on or above. So, this is their linguistic skills, this is their writing skills, this is their math, this is their science, that so they will be on grade level or above. The second pillar is bilingualism and biliteracy. At the end of the day, they need to be able to read and write both in English and in Spanish. Um, At an academic level, not just a social level, that they can do the content that they have at the high school level in each of those languages um, according to their age and cognitive ability. And the third is a cultural competency. Um, Those of you who are in language who know a language, know you cannot separate language from culture, right? You might know all the words, but if you're not understanding where those phrases and words come from, there's going to be a disconnect that's always going to hinder meaning and understanding and ability to communicate. So having said that, why do we continue based on academic achievement and bilingualism? And I'm just going to show this. How many of you have seen this image before? Okay. So this is saying... First of all, the benefits of a second language are seen in an immersion program that is well implemented over an extended period of time. So, what I want you to think about is a big cone, right? And you have a pitcher of water. How much water does it take to fill the very little piece of the cone, right? It doesn't take much. So, that's that first beginner level of Spanish that's novice. So, you put a little water in, a little bit of time, you can get up to that intermediate level, right? So, now intermediate. If you want to get to advanced level, again, think about water in. If the water is time, how much time does it take? It takes more time to get from um, intermediate to advanced than it does from novice to intermediate. And if you think about that, that, that cor- cor- corresponds, correlates to the goals, right? If you're just trying to say, hi, this is my name. How do I get to the bathroom? You don't have to do a whole lot with that. But if you need to start describing things, you need way more language. You need more structures of language. So as you go up in advanced language levels, you need more time. This is actually from the Michigan American curriculum, but it's based on world language. And so you'll see this is their expected performance outcomes for world language. So they say, you know what, in four years, kindergarten to fourth grade, you can get to like novice Right, and if you do four more years you standard intermediate but those four years when you're older you can get a little bit more too so the advanced you're looking at 16 in order to get to that that's 16 years of education that's through college to get to the advanced level so when our eighth graders come into our program we get their apple scores and consistently um, our students are scoring at the an intermediate high or an advanced level that's average now the the Apple which is a test that we use doesn't go higher than advanced so we don't know how much higher but that's where they're coming in so they are already at this part right so if we want to get them to this professional level of, of academic language and functioning it's going to take more time yet they need that time in language to really be at the proficiency level that we're promising them when they come into a program. So, another pillar of dual language program, cultural competency, and as many things, we talk about language, what comes to mind is the more you know, the more you know you don't know, right? So you can be like, I'm okay at Spanish, I can figure out where I'm going. Well, all of a sudden, I'm living in Costa Rica for five years, and I'm put in a professional setting, and I'm going, I know all the things I can't say. Right? So, like, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And, and that's something that also needs to be cultivated in students. And one example is um, the wait, he's your brother example. Mm-hmm. So I am the Christian. This is our staff page. Right here is me. And this is my baby brother, who is way taller than me. He... So whenever I sub, I'm not in the classroom teacher right now, but if I sub, what I do is I go in there and I say, Hi, Mrs. Slink. I'm Mr. Slink's sister. Yeah. And the, the, the response is, wait, you mean sister-in-law? Wait, you didn't change your name? Wait, I'm confused, right? Wait, he's your brother? And then I do my famous diagram. Which is, this is my husband. Right? He has two last names. Pasco is the first last name, and Benavides. He also has a middle name, but I didn't put it on. So that is his last name. We got married in Costa Rica. Um, and there you... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry this boot, because I ruptured my Achilles. So if I need to sit down, or if I tip over, <laughs> yeah. the show will go on. We'll keep going. It's okay. Um, but I kept my last name. Part of it is culturally, you do not change your names there, because we have the school. If I would have changed my name, we would have had paperwork issues that I don't even want to imagine so I did not so what does that mean for my kids so we have our son Levi Levi takes the first last name of his dad and the first last name of his mom and so my kids last name is Pastor Slank this is something that you would think oh these kids have been in immersion since they were five why don't they know that Right? These are cultural competencies that unless you're walking alongside of people, unless you're talking to them, unless you're specifically pointing them out, they're not going to understand that. And we want to avoid having students who can speak a language, but then go, huh, that's dumb, when they hear something that doesn't make sense. And part of our job is to continue that, but part of that has to be done at the cognitive level where our students are. And some of these harder conversations, understanding conversations, aren't happening until high school. So as Christian educators, we have an additional why. So yes, we want academic excellence. We want them to be by, bi- bi- literate We want them to be cultural, competent, cultural competency. But this is an example that I give to parents on our um, like welcome days. So those, I'm gonna depend on Spanish speakers here. If you're only an English speaker, help me with this one. When I say the word guard, what type of person or actions come to mind? You asking? This is everybody. From a Roman soldier. A, sh- a soldier, right. What else? Security. Uh, protection from like hurting uh, yourself or guards up. So you yeah. Know. A basketball player. A basketball player. I like that So So it's, it's these images of like protection, right? And who are the people or the things that protect? Now, in Spanish, the verb cuidar. What images or people come to mind when I say cuidar? Grandma. Grandma. Babysitters. Babysitters. Anyone else? Cuidar. A baby. like in English is like to care for. So we have this, the nurse, the grandpa, the mom. And then I go to this verse. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Does someone want to read this for me in Spanish? Go for it. No se inquieten por nada, mas bien en toda ocasión. Con oración y ruego presenten sus peticiones a Dios y denle gracias. Y la paz de Dios, que sobrepasa todo entendimiento, guard- cuidará sus corazones y sus pensamientos en Cristo Jesús. And in English. do You want to read it in English? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in this verse, we have the English version, that, and God will guard your heart, right? So we might think of this protecting God, this God who protects us. In Spanish we have God who huida, huida su corazón. He, he cares for your heart. And I'm not going to get into like the Greek or anything like that, but the point is these words give us a two really cool pictures of God. Neither of them is more or less true, but by reading both, we can understand God in different ways. And the same is true for God's people, right? God's people around the world are his image bearers. When we have another language, when we can walk in a different culture, we have the chance to learn more about God through his people, to learn more about who he is, and learn from others because we know another language, right? And this is a paradigm shift because sometimes you hear, you know, parents saying, I just want my kids to
1: get a better job
0: because they speak Spanish, or I want them to go and be a missionary. When I think God's vision is way bigger, right? He's saying, no, like, you can learn from our people. You can do work alongside of people. And that's kind of this this big why. And I do think you you have a different opportunity to extend and, and build on that in the high school grades. So... How many of you have heard of Mentimeter? I'm going to quick switch screens. If you can pull out your phone. Um, Let's see here. Can you do this right? should. Give me one minute. Ah. I had this all set up and then I messed it up. Here we go. Yep, once again. Okay, here we go. So, if you have a cell phone, you can either go ahead and take a picture and it will bring you to this link, or you can go to menti.com and enter the code. And this is just like a bonus. This is a very cool tool to use with high school classrooms. I learned this from Noel. Um, I don't. I don't know that I would use it in middle school just because of the censoring of kids putting in information. Is everybody in? Who wants to be in? Okay. I can we just a minute? I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. I think once I go to the next page, we should be. Oh, we see. You you more? So we have uh-huh. 10. Uh-huh. More people left? Uh-huh. Okay, are we good? Yes.
1: Okay, so
0: I'm going to ask this question. We're talking about administrators. What are their priorities or the questions they ask about a new program? What is an administrator going to ask? So go ahead and you can use that app to type in answers to that question. And as you type, we're going to get the answers from everybody. How much does it cost? How much does it cost? How much does it cost? Does it cost? <laughs> so I think we have a good uh, will it bring enrollment up or down, schedule, staffing. I'm happy not to be an administrator. Amen. Bless them, especially after the pandemic. Where do I find a teacher? How sustainable is it? Who's going to teach it? Okay, great. Let's do one more question. What do parents want from a high school immersion program? This is going to be one word or a short phrase. Go ahead and type it in. You can type as many as five, I think. We're going to be a little word cloud going. Opportunities, fluency, novelty, fun, learning, authenticity, a minor or a degree, relevancy. Anyway, that's a fun tool to put in your toolkit um, for classes as well. So when we ask these questions, we're asking, who are the stakeholders? Either you have a program and these are questions you are getting asked, or if you want to start a program or a building up to ones, they are questions you will be asked. For administrator, it's often I thought three or four times up there. Finances. What is this going to cost our school? Sustainability. How do we make this work and continue to work? A big piece of this is keeping and retaining teachers, right? And turnover. Um, someone to manage it, to someone to help it keep rolling. Academic outcomes, right? If you're if your administrator says, Why are my kids? Why are the Spanish immersion kids tanking on the SAT? You're going to be accountable for that. You're going to have to answer questions of, will my students tank on the SAT because of this? And alignment with the school's mission and vision. How does this fit who we are as a school? Parents. Parents will ask about language proficiency. This is sometimes a tricky one, because especially if the parents don't speak Spanish themselves. You will hear parents say, my first grader is fluent. And you say, I'm so glad he's learning the language, right? Like, yes, what does that mean, right? And what does that mean for a first grader versus a high schooler? But they do know that they need a certain proficiency level, whether or not they know how to determine that something to show for their efforts we put our kid in immersion we might have had a a time where they were in tears or where they didn't want to do it anymore or just what now what the feeling they want something to show and this is something that i feel like is particular to high school is they want a happy child this is when parents start getting pushed back on a bunch of things in their kids life right across the board and if immersion is one more thing that causes stress at the dinner table, you're gonna hear it as, as, as part of the program. They want their kid to still wanna be in it. They want him to be happy. And this is a time when your parents aren't happy or if the kid isn't happy, a parent will say, maybe it's not worth it.
1: So then the other stakeholder,
0: which again, I think this is very unique for high school, is students. Students are starting to be in a, part, a phase of life where they have more of a voice in the things they do. They will express that opinion. They don't want to be different from their peers. So they want it to be additive, and this is not necessarily additive in the way that we think about language, in the sense that it's another language. They don't want their Spanish immersion experience to take away from their normal high school experience. They do not want to sacrifice the medals class because they have to take Spanish immersion class. They do not want to sacrifice their, their band or their gym class. They don't wanna come early, they don't wanna stay late. They do not want this to change their academic experience. And a lot of it is they wanna try out new things or they're passionate about something. Um, They wanna take AP classes. They don't want immersion to get in the way of that. And meaning and value. It needs to be relevant to students at some point. They have to understand that this is something that I want. This is part of them owning it, it's part of their buy-in. But as you see, there's very distinct wants and needs among all these stakeholders. So I'm gonna talk about three general, and again, we're gonna move through this pretty quick, but general things that kind of meet these needs. First is program model and logistics, right? And this is more the finances, sustainability, language proficiency for students. So some specific challenges for high school that you might not see in elementary, you will start to see in middle school but course selection and electives. This is what I was saying about the additive, that students don't want to skip band to take an immersion class. Student scheduling. If you have one medals class, and one band class, and one Spanish immersion class, all of a sudden the registrar is like, this kid wants all these single classes and I can't make it fit. And that becomes a conflict. And then teachers. Finding, retaining, keeping them, same. Um, before I came to Helen Christian, I originally I just had a baby. I was here in the States for six months, and they needed a Bible teacher in Spanish. For me, as a mom, it was great. I could use my brain. I could use my Spanish. I could go in for 10% time, FTE, and leave. The reason I had that job is they had burned through two other teachers. And then, at the semester, the language arts teacher's visa wasn't renewed. And so they asked me to fill in. And then the next semester, they found someone. And then he got burnt out because he was creating curriculum and got all this pushback from students. And he quit. And they called me again and said, you want to fill in? And I said, okay, we have a systems problem. We have a program problem, right? It's not sustainable to do it this way. How do we create a program that's gonna allow teachers to flourish and create a program in a way where they feel like they want to stay, right? And it's hard to find teachers who are bilingual and certified. And so when you get them, you want to keep them. So how do we deal with this? Content ordered courses. The example I have here is our ninth grade English class is taught in Spanish. I know that sounds crazy if this is not your world, but all of those state standards are followed by our teachers. The only difference is the instruction is in Spanish. You will have some things like grammar in English, right? And we use that opportunity to compare and contrast to Spanish in the classroom. But we meet all those state standards and that way, they don't have to take a Spanish language arts and an English language arts, English and Indian arts. Another thing is multiple sections. Start thinking, how do we get more than one Bible class in Spanish? You have to be creative, right? You have to say, can we do multi-age? Can we offer a class every other year so that we have two sections? So now that students have more flexibility in their schedule and consider teacher preps and curriculum development as part of determining their FTE. This was ultimately, I think, what was the game changer at our school, is we had an administrator, when I came to her with this, she said, what do we need to do to keep teachers? So a normal workload at our school is five classes, usually two preps, maybe three. Why well, I had a teacher, if I put a Spanish immersion teacher in, it's five classes, but they have five different preps, They're not they're they're not gonna make it. They're not. So saying, okay, while you're developing your curriculum, if I have nothing to give you and you are developing from scratch, working alongside of the Spanish language or English language arts team, you get one of your that's a two-prep class, it counts towards two of your classes to give you the time to develop it. Once it's developed, then you then you lose that extra time, right? But to say if we want to do this well. If we want to, to be sustainable, to have a curriculum we can pass on if we have another teacher and not start over every time, it's considering teachers' um, curriculum development time in their FTEs. So our program, the high School Now, offers three courses per semester. To be full programmed, students have to stay in two per semester. Best practice, in all honesty, would be three. I would love to see students in three. In all honesty, I have zero students. have done three all the way through high school Um, and it's because of those other factors that we've said so we have said if you want to stay in it you have to do at least two and when a kid gets excited about elective and does a third i get super excited but that way we can say we are offering what is needed for best practice even if not all students can or choose to do that Um, every year there's one to two credits at each grade level of content area so that means they're not using all their electives for spanish immersion We do social studies and um, English language arts and Bible, some Bible in content areas. So those are classes they have to take anyway, so they are not covering those elective credits. We rotate class offerings, and I'll show you that example in a minute. We have partnered with Kelvin right now and Hope in the past to offer dual enrollment. One of the things we've learned though is that not every kid is ready for a college level class as a junior. And that has nothing to do with their Spanish proficiency. It usually has to do with who there is a student, their ability to manage homework, and, and their, other, their other habits, really. We found that more than their AP Spanish score, which tells how they're doing, their GPA is what determines how well they're gonna do in class. That we really need a kid to be at a 3.5. But that kid at a 3.5 is because he gets his homework in. He, doesn't struggle with big writing assignments. There's other things going on there that's not language specific. It could be, but most of the time it's not. Um, And so because of that, we said, we we need a program that's equitable. We can't say only kids who can go to college level classes as juniors can be an immersion. So that's why we developed electives to to go in that space. And then, um, yeah, offering alternative classes. So this is not the way everybody's brain works, but this is the model that we have done for sustainability. Every year we offer English 1, AP Spanish, an option of a college class, senior internship. But then what we do is we clump these um, content area classes by grade level cohorts. So 9th and 10th are always together. So for example, this year we have U.S. history. All 9th and 10th graders are taking U.S. history in Spanish this year. That is something that if you're working this you need an administrator on board and you need your department heads on board because they're gonna to have to say oh we might have to do things a little different if you can get the buy-in for them um, it will allow you to do that so what happens I have when I had two smaller classes sizes like if I have a 12 and a 12 ninth graders and 14 10th graders I can put them together and have one class we're past that growing point where we have 25 coming in well now I have two sections of US History. This helps with their schedules. It alleviates a prep for my teacher, because now she's teaching the same thing twice instead of a different class every hour. Next year, all of them take Global Civic Bible. These are also required classes. And we do the same thing in 11 and 12th. We do split up our English three, so they take one semester as a junior, one as, as a senior. That part is still a little funky, it's worked, it's not our favorite live unit but um. and then what we do is we offer two electives every year these electives are open to ninth through twelfth graders so if a student is taking APUS history and they can't get that second credit in they can take the elective classes um, or if a student isn't ready for a Kelvin class they can take the elective classes so this year we're doing interpretation and applied vocabulary interpretation is going to be oral um, simultaneous practice doing that um, and applied vocabulary is, we call it also adulting 101, right? <laughs> our, our students have been in academic Spanish for a long time, but can they like know how to like invite someone to come and hang out at their house and talk about what they need to bring? Or do they know how to talk about changing a tire or setting up a tent? They don't, right? Even cooking words, sometimes they're like, well, how do you say onion? And you're like, oh, do you not know how to say onion? Like you can talk about governmental structures, right? But if it's not in the, if it's not language they're touching, they're not going to be developing that as well. So we really try to get that to be a place where we get student buy-in, having interesting classes. Cooking classes go nuts. That was we had what 40 some mm-hmm. sign up for that. Um, but something calls their attention, and then it gives them an opportunity to get some of that social language mm-hmm. that they honestly don't have, and they do need to develop. And I'm Spanish. Nice yeah. Actually, too. So my first question is can you tell us how many teachers you have teaching these and my second question is how do you choose the electives? So we have two teachers. We have um, Noelle is actually our English certified teacher, English language arts, so she does those and she does the electives. Our social studies teacher also speaks Spanish so he does social studies. He doesn't do electives because they're still using him a lot in the English classes as well. He teaches both in English and Spanish. So those are those two teachers. And the electives kind of came through is just sitting down and saying, hey, what what's interesting? Especially banking on my teachers. Like, what are your skills and interests? If it's gonna be another prep for you, I want it to be something that you want to do, that you see as meaningful. Um, and then we rotate, so we have eight elective total. total. So every, every year, so like next year, we'll offer this, the next year, the next year. And so the idea is they'll have an opportunity once in high school to do each of them, if they choose to, right? But that also means that they will always have an elective available that they have not taken. So, yes, she's a saint. Yes, hold on to her. Yep, I know, no poaching allowed. Yes. <laughs> As a 10th grade. Yeah, they could if they wanted to. Um, what we have found is our students, the nice thing is our English one, we embed a lot of that 8 ap kind of Spanish 4 stuff in there too, with culture. So we do feel like they're ready this year. Every single one of the last year's tests, sorry, we had 18 students all got 4s or 5s on the test. Um, I would not recommend it before that just because of their practice with formal test taking more than language. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yep. And we have we explored doing the language and lit, but really the benefit of that, a lot of colleges lump it all together, so it's not like you're going to get a ton more credits and we do both. And students don't really love literature. So <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of your AP language class, yep. um, do you do you put that in the I mean, do your do your English language AP Spanish kids take the same class or do you keep Okay. We have done both. Okay. We currently put them together, and it's for that same thing it's for flexibility and schedule. And honestly, those of you who are in it know that when a, when a student group grows up together, they become this weird, like, family dynamic. <laughs> so we are open anytime we have the chance to split it up. You yeah. tend to see them thrive there. Yeah. And I mean, how is it working for you? Is it, I mean, we're talking about kids with totally different skill sets. I think it's harder on the teacher than it is. Right. I mean, it, it, and that's where it becomes uh, a classroom culture thing, right? Because it has to be a, the teacher has to capitalize on the skills of both parties. Because usually you have upperclassmen, right, juniors or seniors uh-huh. who are world language, they are better at developing thoughts in writing, just the cognitive level, right? Yes. The, the analyzing things, they're better. They get intimidated by the emerging kids, right? So it, it's, a lot of that is on the teacher and how they create that culture and balance. Now, your sophomores take taking AP for have measure kids, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have a traditional program, like 1, 2, 3, yep. AP, or 1, AP, yep. how do they do in comparison? Are they getting 4s, or are they also getting 4s and 5s? They are getting anywhere from 2 to 5s. Anywhere from 2 to 5s. Yes. I would say you are more averaging 3s. I would say threes the average, couple 4s, couple 5s, couple 2s. And it, that fluctuates with the year, but we, it, emerges to students significantly outperform every year. That's not something you really advertise. I don't go over well with world language, but I have the data if you want to see it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, okay. curriculum.
0: Excuse me, one more. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, this may be a part of where you're going, but uh-huh. uh, in the previous slide, it said something about how you have three course choices for them. Uh-huh. They have to take two to stay in the program. Yep. What, what's up? what does that mean? What is in the program? No, that's great. So, and we're sorry, we're getting in this to this a little bit. But they have to have two to continue in content area courses. So if they want to continue to take English or social studies, they have to stay in those two. And that's to keep their language level up so they can do the academic tasks in that language. We also give, and I'll get to this in a minute, certificates based on how many credit hours you have completed. It is hard to motivate sometimes, and part of what I have learned is how can I inform the families to make good decisions and understand that we have a bunch of different kids with different needs who are going to make different choices. Mm -hmm. And then how do we make the program sustainable with all that, which is why we have those rotating classes. If a student decides not to do the full program, they don't take two, they can always be in the elective classes. So you might have a parent who says i just want them to like stay in it right but they don't want them to take english three they can take those elective classes i really do push parents i say try to get them through ap spanish at the least because then you have that like something to show for it right if you get a four or five you go into college and you don't have to take a world language or you get college credits so i really if a, if a parent's struggling after freshman year unless i see a child who is not capable of doing it, I really try to, to push them and encourage them to at least get through that part. The two classes could be an elective and one of the content, or does it be both? Content?
1: If they choose an elective
0: and content, okay. it depends on the circumstance. Yeah. Because sometimes they have to do that because they're taking an AP. Right. Right. Um, most of them try to stay in it and try to do the contact content, actually, because they want to take woods, they want to take metals, yeah. they want to take robotics, they, you know, so. I'm more thinking of the juniors and seniors yeah. who aren't doing it in college. And, and that, if it's not the college class, we make that exception, right, then it can be able to content. So curriculum program completion and data, this kind of addresses the academic outcomes, something to show in this meaning and value, and this is a very abbreviated version. So content area classes meet the same standards. I mentioned that before. They attend the same um, department meetings. We really want them integrated with their their teams. Counterbalance instruction. So those of you who have schools, how many are at a language schools? Just you guys-ish? But basically saying, how do we look at what we need our kids to know academically? What are the standards, right? and then how do we create a language focus based on what we need our students to do? So it's like, hey, I need to do a persuasive essay, right? What type of language does my student need to create an effective persuasive essay, <coughs> right? So you might need to look at the verb tenses that would be used. It's, it's taking the act and saying, how can we enforce that through what they're doing? And then a big thing that we've been doing is looking at morphology too, and this is, we've talked about how to do this better, but when you look at SAT strategies and understanding words, the ability to break apart a word and understand it helps in both languages. Mm-hmm. So, I, as a I had a freshman class, and um, they were talking about Desconcelo. They said, oh, I'm so and I was like, <laughs> And they were, like, sleeping on the desk. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, I'm just so tired. And I was like, um, Nope, like let's break apart the word. Des is like you're not, right? right. Gonzalo is tired and we got in a little bit of a fight about it. Somehow that was an an error that stuck with them. But trying to break down words so that when, and that's a skill that even though the morphology is not the same in both languages, they can use it to break down those academic words. And then K-12 alignment, communication across school districts. This is a place we are not at yet because our school is not up to middle school but I'm excited for that time. Because we often say in high school like, whoa, oh, where's the disconnect? Why are they struggling with this? Where are these errors? How can we work as a team K-12 so that they don't get stuck, right? And then having that big picture helps. Um, so those of you who already do have a program, I just encourage you, use each other as a resource. Like you guys are handing off the time, and value your kindergarten and first grade teachers. Because they are the ones who get things going, right? If they don't get that language started, where they are, the expectation is they stay in the language, it's gonna mess you up all the way to high school. So are you planning to working working backwards then like a seventh to eighth grade program? Well, so our elementary school is currently in fourth. So we are, we are going to, so, gap, right? so there is a gap. So that's because of our feeder school that came in before. Um, and I speak from experience, like when I, we had a mess when we started and so i understand it's, it's hard to get people on board and to to figure it out but um this is just a resource i don't know if you've seen this if you do have a program i would highly recommend you go on and download this it's from the talent institute guiding principles of dual language education um, if you are a principal if you are a program director if you are in a grade level meeting This has a bunch of different areas. It's super overwhelming. It's like 150 pages if you look at it. But the idea would be to pick one. So it's different areas. This one is program structure. And it gives points. So the development of social cultural competence is part of the program design. And it gives very clear indicators, indicators on where your school is. And here's another one as well, right? The deliberate planning and coordination of curriculum instruction and assessment. Is there a I have I have the link and I can I can do it. I haven't given them the the thing to upload yet, but um, grab my email and I can send it to you the link too. But it's a free download. Um, I'll go back so to that. Yep, yeah. guiding principles for dual language education. And it's again, you are not going to go through this and look at all fifty principles and try to fix it all. I would say pick one at a semester and talk about it with your team. Talk about it, set some goals, and go from there. It's, you can't do it all at once, but if you're in a program and you're saying, okay, what's the next best step? Picking some of these and picking them out, going through them as a team is a great resource and option. Okay, so program completion, like we talked about, what do we offer them? We do a certificate of completion or a certificate of participation. It's completion, if they've done the two credit hours every year. It's participation, if it's less than that, and we put the amount of credit hours around there. Um, the Michigan Seal of Ed Literacy, I know that every state has its own process and its own um, rules, but most of our students qualify for that. The only thing is, and it's kind of a motivator for a program, too, if they take the AP as a sophomore and get a four or five, they need to show that they've been in at least one more year of Spanish before the, in order to earn that. Um, but it's based on efficiency and timing the language. At least one more leg- year of language after the sophomore After 10th, yeah. If they, t- if they would take a test in 11th or 12th, which could even be the apple, they wouldn't yet, would not need another year. But it is a way of kind of motivating of like, hey, get another year in, right? Stick with another year. And that's a certificate that comes from the state of Michigan. Um, We, every year we have a senior award for an outstanding Spanish immersion student. Um, More than proficiency, this is someone who we feel like they get it. They understand culture and language and it always is one of the individuals who did the whole program. So again, just trying to have these little things to motivate to stay in. And then at the end of the year we've been doing a Spanish immersion senior banquet that just recognizes like, hey you guys, you stuck with it and you did it. And it's a big deal. Um, The sad thing is any of the kiddos can participate? In we invite, yes. And we, I mean, I think we need to rethink how we even do that a little bit because of COVID. It just got, a little, everything got a little bit funky. But trying to celebrate and, and build some some hype and, and desire to stay in it. Okay, data collection. This is one thing that I love to do. Not everyone loves to do it. But I collect student proficiency scores starting in eighth grade, their testing data. Um, PSAT, SAT, their course load, how many courses are they taking in Spanish, which ones, their GPA, the number of students in the program, and retention. Um, and why do I do this? Basically, what, one of my goals for this year is to create a program profile that I will give to my administrator, to the superintendent to say, hey, these are the kids in the program, this is how they're performing, this is what we're able to offer them, and also just to keep us in check, like are our kids testing okay, right? Are they, does the number of classes they are in correspond to how they end up doing when we test them their senior year, right? And we still don't have enough data to really say, I can't tell you a bunch, but um, it, it becomes a tool that you can use both for professional development and for um, program decision making. So the final one, student engagement um practical intentional and consistent our elective course offerings like i said we try to get things that kids are excited about they want to do that pique their interest community connections we try to get them in our community we are blessed and fortunate to have over 25 percent latino population in holland so i understand we might have some more opportunities in other areas but anytime we can connect them with businesses with professionals anytime we can use that to talk about culture I love pan dulce and cafecitos, so anytime, any excuse I have to go and buy like, sweet bread and drink coffee, I'm, I'm in. Um, but to help them see the world around them. And then meaningful application. We do a senior seminar at the end of the program where we basically try to find an internship where they can use their Spanish. This is not one where they're going to be using their Spanish all the time, but that's not the real world either, right? We want them to, We ask them, hey, what do you want to do? Do you wanna be in nursing? Do you wanna be in accounting? And then we find someone who has contact with the Latino community and language so that they can see how does this, how could I use my Spanish in this professional setting? Is it gonna be 100% Spanish only? No, but that's not the real world either, right? Like we want them to see what it looks like. Um, And we've had really good, um, just an experience for students and opportunities for them to check that out. And diversity and inclusion. I I think one of the things this year that has been encouraging for me and that I love about this job is that because we have a robust Spanish immersion program at high school, we can pull other students in. So our international students. Okay, US history is hard. It's hard in English. Now do you wanna do it in a second language? So when we have students from Latin America or Spain, we put them in the Spanish immersion US history right? Because now it's easier for them, it contributes to our classroom environment, it elevates the language. Heritage speakers, right, who are hearing it a lot at home, even if they haven't had a lot of formal instruction, the way they have acquired language mimics a lot how our immersion students have, so they can often um, jump right in and do well. English language learners, we do not have an EL class or EL supports, but we just got a new student who was in EL at her former school, and we don't have a lot of supports for her in English, but you know what, we can elevate her second language and help her with that academic piece by putting her in her first language classes in Spanish Um, and ESS connections. Near and dear to our heart, and I know that Noelle would say the same, we have a student in ESS that has cognitive um, difficulties, but he is completely bilingual. So we have this opportunity to bring him in, and our students get to see a kid who will never be able to do the math they do. But he's way more bilingual than they are, right? His ability to switch languages and switch cultures and the empathy that that creates um, has been really powerful. So I just have a couple other um, strategies and resources. The nice thing when you get to high school is they can take on some more responsibility. We do a lot with blogs, podcasts, social media utilizing games, um, Ask all About Goose Chase. It's a scavenger hunt that our students got really into. It was kind of a community building thing. We pitted the grades against each other and they had to, it gives you prompts. It'll say, take a picture with your math teacher or teach this person a new Spanish word or translate a sign and do a video of it. um, Just to get them engaging and excited about that. And then normalizing, hearing, and seeing the language in school settings. Whether that's chapel, whether that's speaking to your custodian, if it's your custodian speaks Spanish, um, whether it's switching to the first language of a parent when they come in right away and not worrying about translating for everyone else, right? Like elevating that language um, for everyone. So I just talked a whole lot, but we have a couple minutes um, if you have questions, and then I, I please take my. Email and feel free to ask questions too. Is there anything I can answer now? Um, why did you? Why did you or why did how, uh, Hope end their partnership with you? Why did they end it? Yeah, I don't do it. That, no, end it. no, it was it was Hope's. It was the dean. Just said we're not going to accommodate for them. I think what's happened at Cope is their enrollment has skyrocketed and they were saving spaces for us in classes, and they felt like it was no longer feasible to do for them. So we, they still do dual enrollment, but um, it was a bummer. They might give in, they might not it, And we don't know, for example, the, the cutoff is... <laughs> no, Kelvin has been, and we are doing Kelvin as online synchronous right now. So we put all our students together in the same room. They're in the same hour of the day. They're not traveling. I mean, obviously, the, there's benefits to going on the college That's, campus, but the what, what happened is, for example, for second semester, we won't know until December 15 if they have room in that class. So that causes a bunch of scheduling, rescheduling, stress. Um, and there's some students who choose to do that, but it's not my preference. Yeah. Yeah. So, what we do is we, if they're incoming and it's not, we, so our feeder school tests everyone. They have the apple scores. So, what I do is anyone who has taken a couple years off, who is a heritage speaker, who is coming from a different program, they take that test just to kind of correlate and see how they compare to incoming. Um, And, I mean, Like I said, the nice thing about that test is it, it, you realize that heritage speakers, for example, they might come in really insecure, but they're testing at the same level because of their input at home, right? Um, So we are open and, and even with the Apple testing, what we do is if we see a low score coming in, we talk to the family and just say, hey, this might be tough, right? Like if you're getting an intermediate, mid or low in writing, English one might be hard. And then at the semester, but we still let them try. right? We have that conversation, we let them try. And we've had to just sit down with some students and say, hey, we want what's best for you, and this is not what's best for you right now. right?" And then they switch back into the English. So we are um, pretty open in that sense with who comes in. And I I find that distinguishing between parent motivation and student motivation is a, a key part in who succeeds. If a student wants to be there, um, they usually pick it up and do it well. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> well, if you thank you so much. I, I love to see people in here and sharing and feel yeah. free to reach